Okay, open your Bibles to Acts 20. Acts 20 verses 26 and 27 is where we're going to be at today. And uh, we're actually going to be looking at a little bit bigger passage in Acts and, and two passages in Ezekiel, okay? So uh, these all tie together real closely. And so um, <clears throat> we are looking at uh, those three passages, Acts 20 and then Ezekiel 3 and 33, which we'll get there in a second. But for now, Acts 20, and I'm going to read a couple verses, verses 26, 27. Then I'm going to talk to you about the discipleship tool we're rolling out. So, uh, you know, each week, right, we are, we are uh, promoting a different discipleship tool. So this is our fourth week in our discipleship push. So the first tool was the SOAPS Bible study. Does everybody remember those, right? Um, here, here's what I hope didn't happen. I hope that you didn't, you know, use that real diligently the first week, and then like, man, I studied my Bible for a whole week, and now I'm done, okay? So I hope you did not do that. I hope you realize that really the SOAPS is just a tool to help you be in the Bible, obey the Bible, Pray the Bible and share the Bible for the rest of your life, okay? Uh, as Christians, we're going to be in, in the Scriptures all our life. So it's just a tool to help you uh, to, to read a passage and then pick out a verse or a couple verses, however you want to do it, and then write those out. S-O is observation. Okay, what does this say? Um, what truths are here? How, 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 what is Jesus saying? What is Paul saying? You know, and then A is application. Always, how do we obey the Bible? How do I obey, right? So how do I obey, obey what, this, what this passage is teaching? P is a prayer. Why do we need to pray? Because we need help obeying, right? So you just said, I'm gonna, Lord, I'm going to try to obey this. I, I hear what you're saying. So, Lord, I want, I want to, I'm going to ask you, Lord, help me obey. Write out that prayer. And then S is share. Hey, we want to share the scripture. So how, who can I share this? So that was the first tool we rolled out. And hopefully you're still doing those. When your small group asks you tonight, hey, you know, how are the soaps going? Man, bring, bring one of those. That would really encourage everybody if you just brought one of those and said, man, you know, I was reading. Here's the verse I picked. Here, here's the application I made. Here was my step of obedience. This is who I shared it with. That would be super encouraging for your small group leader. So that was the first week. And then we have the uh, accountability groups. So that's kind of urging and pushing you to build Christ-centered relationships so that you've got people that are walking with you in your Christian life, and they're holding you accountable, and they're encouraging you, and they're exhorting you at times, maybe even holding you back from sin, helping you in your walk. And then the third week was the prayer wheel. Man, I, I really believe the most impactful tool that we're going to look at this semester, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. But, but that prayer wheel really enables us or it helps you to broaden your prayer life out. As we looked last week, uh, man, the Bible tells us you have to pray always and not lose heart. And, and I think we did a pretty good job looking through the Bible and saying, what does pray always mean? And, and what it doesn't mean is these little just, you know, I'm God, I'm going to give you 30 seconds today, and, and, and that's going to be my prayer. It's, it's like being with God, right, whatever that looks like. And so we challenged you to pray last week for an hour using the prayer wheel. That, that thing doesn't have to be an hour always. Uh, there's lots of different ways to look at that prayer wheel. Uh, in fact, that five-minute a piece, that's a little bit restrictive, isn't it? Uh, for instance, during the, the intercession time when like you're praying for other people, man, five minutes is not enough for me. Like, man, by the time I get through my kids, it's 20 minutes. You know, I mean, I, you know, and then I start the people that, you know, I'm friends with and in my church and I've got a list in my office that I try to pray about 15 people off of that list. And so, so you'll, you'll notice that you'll start adapting that, right? Like it's not like this rigid rule. Sometimes you only got 20 minutes, man, use it. Use the tool for as, as far as you can go. Learning to listen, learning to meditate, learning to write down what God's speaking to you, all really helpful. And then today, we are going to promote, or we're, what we're rolling out to you is this list of 100, okay? And I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but we're going to read our passage first. So if you'd like to stand, we do that in this service, Acts 20 
And I'm going to read verses 26 and 27, just a couple verses, and then we'll look at the passage more thoroughly in just a minute. Verse 26 says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let me read that again. That was so short. Let me read it again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Father, we need your help this morning. God, you are good. God, you're, you're gracious. You're beautiful. God, you are strong and wise and faithful. And God, we can trust you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust you in this step today. God, I pray that you would enable us to see the beauty of the gospel. God, that you would enable us to see our responsibility to others. And God, I pray that we might leave here uh, resolved uh, to be obedient and joy. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so what is this list of 100? Okay, so this is the tool we want to promote to you today. And so think of it this way. So the Bible tells us that Christians are to go and make disciples, right? Remember when Jesus was, after his resurrection, he was about to ascend into heaven. He gathers his disciples together, and he tells them what we call the Great Commission. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, lo, I'm with you always, right? We, that's a pretty familiar passage, okay? So the Bible says we're supposed to go be disciple makers, right? Well, what exactly does that mean? Who is he talking about? So when, when I think about, okay, Jesus told me to go be a disciple maker, you know, when I, when I think about Jesus told me to share my faith, to tell people who he is, What people is he talking about? Well, that's where this comes in pretty handy, okay? So what we want you to do with this list of 100, this is actually the easiest tool we're going to roll out. This is pretty simple. We just want you to write down 100 people that are in your life, okay? Now, I know initially I talked to somebody this weekend. They're like, I don't know 100 people. Man, I know you guys. You got 100 people in your families, okay? Man, I remember when Kenny Bowers used to stand back there and be greeter. Y'all remember when Kenny, Kenny was here, maybe you've been here a long time, you remember Kenny was a greeter? He would, everybody that come in, he'd hug them, and just like they were his long-lost friend, and I haven't seen you forever, you know, people that were new. And afterward, I'd say, well, you know, Kenny, how'd you know that person? Oh, they're my cousin, you know? And after about 10 years of that, I was like, there is no way you've got that many cousins, right? Like, but some of you, you may, I don't know. You know, maybe you got that big a family, but... I bet you anything, when you start just writing family members down, you know, parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, kids, you know, uh, in-laws, I bet, I, bet, I bet you get 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 uh, people just with that, okay? And then when you start thinking about your friends and your friendship circle, when you start thinking about your neighbors, you start thinking about the people on your block, you start thinking about your coworkers, you start thinking about maybe if you're a teacher, man, teachers ought to, we should expand this for teachers and have like a 500, right? Uh, I, I really believe. I've never tried this, but I'd like to someday, but it just take a lot of time. I think I could probably name a thousand. I, I'm, I'm just guessing, but I, I just think probably if, if I really uh, did some work with it, and, uh, and thought about, you know, all the folks that I know in the community and have somewhat of a relationship with, you know, that I, I can walk by McDonald's and be like, hey, I know, I know their name, I know where they work, I, I, you know, I know a little bit about their family. Man, th- there would be way more than 100. But we want you to start with 100, and then you'll notice there, there's three little things beside that, disciple, unbeliever, or unknown. And so if you know they're a follower of Jesus, maybe, maybe you've seen the fruit of it in their life, you've had gospel conversations, they're, they're like, yes, I'm trusting Christ, I'm following to Christ, you, got, you, you have somewhat of a spiritual relationship, 
you can circle disciple. Uh, maybe you know they're not. Maybe you've had a conversation with them, and, and they've told you, man, I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't, I don't think Jesus rose from the dead. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to follow him. That's not for me. Well, you can write unbeliever. You can circle unbeliever. Or maybe with a lot of people, you're just like, I don't know. You know, I've never really had a conversation with them about it. I've, I've never seen fruit you know, in their life. And so I'm just uncertain. And so I'm going to circle unknown. And that gives you kind of this list of, all right, these are basically the people that are already in my life. And one of the things that I'm going to press on you today is that you are in some sense responsible for those people. Okay. You're in some sense responsible for those people. Now, I'm going to say a really funny thing as a preacher here, or maybe a silly thing, or maybe a weird thing. I don't know. But I'm going to be honest. I don't really like the passages we're looking at today. Is that okay to say? Like, like, like there, there are passages in the, in the Bible that I really love. Like, they're, they're my comfort passages, you know. Uh, I go to them for encouragement and comfort, and, and, and you know, there are those. And then there are these, okay. And these are those passages that rattle me a little bit. Um, that kind of disturb me a little bit, that are a little edgy on me. And, and so I'm just being honest. Like, I, 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 these, are, these are not my favorite passages, particularly the ones in Ezekiel. They are not my favorite passages. But let, let me tell you what is true, okay? What is true about these passages is that every time I encounter them, they move me to obedience, okay? I, I want them to do that in you today. Every time I encounter these passages in my life, they have moved me to obedience, and it happened this week. Um, this week, I've been reading Ezekiel 3 and 33 and this passage over and over and over again, and that, that whole phrase, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, has been in my mind again and again, and this week, I was driving. You know how we all have these patterns in our life where we drive, right? And, and I was drive, driving, and, and I drive the same route that I drive every day, and I passed somebody that I know pretty well, and uh, he, we've had a bunch of conversations, and, and, and I would say that over the last 15 years, I, I have been able to give him quite a few gospel commercials. You, you know what I mean by a gospel commercial? You know, that's when, like, it, they're not letting you have a conversation. Like, it's not like, okay, let's sit down and talk about Jesus here. Let's sit down and talk about what does it mean to be a Christian. Let's sit down and talk about heaven and hell. Let's sit down and talk about sin and forgiveness. You know, it's not one of those. It's that we're talking about something else, but I want to get there, right? So, like, like, I look for opportunities to have a little commercial, you know? And, and so as we're talking about something, I'll, I'll be like, ooh, hey, you know, man, this is really cool in my life. You know, here's what God did, you know? Or, hey, man, when I think about that, this thing we're talking about, I always think about this deal in the Bible, and it says this, right? So I've had a bunch of those. I call it fishing, you know? Like, I'm throwing out a truth in the Bible, and I've had a bunch of those with this person, and every one of them has come back empty, okay? Uh, they have they have not allowed me really to go any further, and 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 it's not produced any fruit, and so that's been my relationship with this person for over a decade. Okay, well I've got this passage on my mind this week. Okay, and my my wife is gone, and so I've got my kids, and I, and I, and I preached three times this week besides today, and so it's been a really busy hectic week, and and I'm driving by, and and I see the person. And, and I go on by because I really, I don't have time. And again, I've, I've, I've had a gospel commercial over and over again. This passage comes to my mind, okay? And guess what I got to do? Like, I've got to, I got to stop and I got to turn around and I got, I got to go back and, and I've got to get out and I've got to have a conversation. I got to try again. 
And, and, and actually, it was pretty fruitful. Like, like it, it wasn't big fruitful, but I got further. I got more truths about the gospel clearly communicated in the conversation I had this week than, than, than I have in probably all the others pieced together, okay? And, and so what I'm telling you is these are not my favorite passages, but they do something in me. Like, like they actually move me to obedience when, 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 I, when I read them and when I'm thinking about them, and I hope they'll do the same for you. Um, but here, here's what I would tell you. Honestly, there are a lot better motives in the Bible for sharing the gospel than what I'm about to share with you, okay? What I'm about to share with you is that the Bible says you're responsible for the people in your life. Like, like you're responsible for your kids. Like, you're responsible. You know, you, from the standpoint of you're responsible to share the gospel. Like, like, they don't know what it means to be a Christian. They don't know how to get their sins forgiven. They don't know how they can be, 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 be a child of God and go to heaven. And you are, because you know and because they're in your life, you are in some new way responsible for them, okay? But here's what I would tell you. There are so many better reasons to share the gospel then I'm responsible, all right? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, there are better reasons. It's kind of like this illustration. So uh, I understand that, that one of the reasons that I should send my kids to school or homeschool them, educate them, one of the reasons I should do that is because if I don't do that, a truancy officer is going to come to my house, right? And, and after that, like, a DHS worker will come. You know, I'm like, it'll just get worse. Like, the government will be in my business, and, 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 and they'll be at, at risk of me maybe not even having my kids in my house. Like, like, bad things will happen if I don't send my kids to school. Okay? That's true. That's not the reason I send them to school, though. Does that make sense? Like, there are better reasons to educate them than that one. Like, in, like tomorrow morning, I'm not going to wake him up and be like, guys, I'd let, let you stay home and be dumb, but, you know, that truancy officer is going to come by, so I'm, I'm going to make you go. That, that's not reason. I, like, I want him to read. I want him to learn to read. I want him to learn to think critically. I want him to know that when, when you, you have this much money in your bank account and you spend this much, then you got this much, right? Like, I want him to know that. That's a pretty good skill. I want him to know about history and philosophy. and Like, I want him to know that. And, and so there are better reasons for me to educate my children than there's this terrible consequence if you don't, okay? And in the same way, there are better reasons that you should want to share the greatest news in all the world with the people on this list than the one I'm about to give you. There, there's a lot, but there, there's better reasons. You may give you a couple. I, I could tell you were wanting me to. All right, I will. All right, it's good news, right? Like, it legitimately is good news. I want, I want the people in my life to know they can have their sins forgiven. All the failures, all the junk, all the, the, the disappointments, all, all the sin, all the terrible, hard and angry, unforgi- all that junk can actually be forgiven by Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Like it can be wiped away. Like Jesus can put his righteousness in my account. Isn't that amazing? That, that God can look at me and not see all my failures and not see all my, my, my blunders and not see all my rebellion and not see all my idolatry. He can actually look at me. God can look at me and see the righteousness of his son. Like Jesus will do that. That's incredible. That's incredible. It's incredible that God says, I will bring you into my family and I will put my Holy Spirit in you and he will begin to transform you. I mean, isn't that incredible? Like Jesus is the perfect man and the Bible says that if I can be joined to Jesus, he will begin to change me. He'll begin to make me more like Christ. That's awesome. 
It's awesome to me to think about that there is a new heavens and a new earth coming. That all the broken stuff in this world, that Jesus is going to fix that revelation. The last book in the Bible, Jesus says, I'm making all things new. That, that is wonderful to me. It's wonderful to me that heaven is not what I thought of when I was a kid. It, it's not like fluffy clouds, babies with diapers and harps, and that's where you're at forever, you know? It's better than hell, but it's not very exciting. I'm so glad. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible talks about fullness of joy and pleasure forever in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells and Jesus is king, and we travel and have commerce and, 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 and have responsibilities and jobs and, and relationships, and it's all perfect, okay? That is good news. That is good news that the world should know. And so there's a ton of great reasons why we ought to want to share who Jesus is with the people in our life. The ladies um, that met Tuesday night, man, there were 60 or so of them. I couldn't believe it. It was really cool. And uh, they let me teach the first lesson, which was basically an overview of the book of 1 John. And one of the things that I showed them was that John gives four purposes for why he writes this book. And this is the first one, okay? I'm going to read the first four verses of 1 John. It's just beautiful, so, so just enjoy this, okay? Um, and, and enjoy the names he gives to Jesus, all right? You ready? That which was from the beginning. That's one of his names for Jesus. Jesus was from the beginning. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. See what John's saying? He's saying, man, we lived with Jesus. We touched him. We heard him. We saw him, all right? Concerning the word of life. He says, this life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify and we proclaim it to you. John says, we are sharing with you what we saw and heard and experience with Jesus. And then he says, the reason why is that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you that you also may have fellowship with us. You hear that? John says, I want to tell you about Jesus so you can have fellowship with us. You know what fellowship is? Two fellows in the same ship, right? It's, it's we share this thing together. Like, that's, that's a great reason to share Jesus with people is I want you to be in this with me. I want you to have what I have. I want, I want, I want, I want you to experience what I've experienced. And then look at the last reason, verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I think the greatest reason that you ought to be a person that shares Jesus with your family and friends and neighbors is because it leads to ultimate joy, okay? So that's all I'm saying. There's a bunch of great reasons why you ought to share Jesus with others. But the one we're looking at today is a more sobering one, and it's this one that you have a responsibility to the people that God has put in your life, and there are consequences for not warning those people of the perils of rejecting Christ. Now, let's look at our passage. So Acts 20. So what's happening here in Acts 20? Well, Paul is traveling to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem because God's told him to, okay? And, and he knows that uh, things are going to go badly for him there. In fact, if I, if I begin reading in Acts 20, um, verse 22, he says, And now... Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city. Imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself. You know know what Paul just said there? He said, I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem, and I know when I get there, it's not going to be good. Uh, The the only thing the Holy Spirit's told me is that afflictions, imprisonment, and your life are going to that, that's what's going to happen, Paul. And indeed, that is what happens. He gets arrested in Jerusalem. They take him to Rome, and he's eventually beheaded, according to church tradition, in Rome. Okay? So Paul knows that that's what's, what's going on. Now, notice what he says in verse 25. He says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. 
They're in a city called Miletus, and uh, they're traveling to Jerusalem. And Paul didn't have time to go to Ephesus, and so he sends word for the, the church at, at Ephesus to come see him. And so a bunch of the leaders come and see him. And so he sits down with them, and he says, all right, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. It's going to go bad for me. I'm never going to see you again, okay? That, that changes the conversation, doesn't it? Whenever you know you're never going to see somebody again. I don't know if you've ever, we, we actually never probably know that for sure, but I bet some of you have had an experience where you got called into a hospital room and the doctor or the nurse said, okay, I can't tell you when. Nobody ever knows when, right? But I can tell you it's pretty, it's, pre, it's coming. And, and so if you want to say some things, it, it better be now, right? Paul's in one of those situations, except he's not sick, right? And, and the people he's with are not sick. He's just, he's just been told by God, by the Holy Spirit, that, look, you're not ever going to see these people again, all right? So he knows, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And, and, and Paul says a really interesting thing, okay? You would think... If this were the last time you would see each other, okay, so, so look to the person to your right and to your left and just think about, okay, after this sermon, what if you knew you're going to have 10 minutes and then you'll never see the person again in this world, okay? So, so that would probably change what you would say, right? You would probably, you wouldn't just be like, hey, I'm, I'm going to see if there's any donuts left and go to the bathroom. I'll see you at the car, you know? Um, you probably would, would say something more substantial, wouldn't you? Okay, so what's interesting is, is that Paul knows he's never going to see these people again. And you know what he says? He says this, I've already said everything I need to say to you. I mean, I mean, Paul is able to say, look, I've already said everything that needs to be said. In, in verse 20 of this chapter, Paul, Paul says, he accounts, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. He says, I've, I've, I've told you everything that I needed to say to you. I've told you everything that, that, that I was accountable to tell you, anything that was profitable for you. And then he's able to say, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Okay, that's what, he, that's what he says in 26. I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Now, what does he mean, I'm innocent? That's kind of a strange thing to say, right? I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Well, it's not strange if you know your Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, in, in the prophetic book of Ezekiel, it may be a book you've never read before. It's, it's kind of tucked back there in the Old Testament. But Ezekiel was a prophet, and, and two times God emphasizes the following thing to Ezekiel. Okay, I want to I walk you through this passage or both these passages because it's really important to this text. Okay, so Ezekiel 3, I'm going to begin reading in 17. Son of man, I've made you a watchman, okay, watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. The wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Okay, did you get that? He tells Ezekiel, I'm making you a watchman, and, and, and I'm giving you a message, and I'm giving a message for the, this wicked man, and if you don't tell him, then, then he's going to die and he's going to perish, but I'm going to require his blood at your hand. Okay? Now, go to Exodus 33, okay? So we have essentially the identical thing again, okay? This time I'm going to pick up uh, the verse 5, okay? I'm trying to shorten these, all right? So he's talking about a watchman. He's talking about him sounding the alarm. And he says in verse 5 of Ezekiel 33, He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming... And does not blow the trumpet. The trumpet was like the warning sound. So that the people are warned, are not warned. And the sword comes and takes any one of them 
That person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now look at the next verse. This is Ezekiel 33, 7. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked, to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. There it is again. His blood I will require at your hand. Okay, now, now what, what are those passages essentially saying? Well, basically they're using this metaphor, okay? So in, in ancient cities, this would be very common, they would have a wall around the city. Why? Because there were marauding bands and enemies coming all the time trying to take them over. And, and so people would be busy during the day farming and gardening and doing business and teaching and cleaning house, right? And they would have a watchman on the wall. Okay, they would hire this, this guy. That would be his job. Your job is to stand at the top of the wall and you're to look out and you're to look for danger. You're to look for enemies. You're to look for terrible things that are coming. And when you see terrible things coming, you're to sound the alarm. You're to warn everybody so that they can be safe, right? And he says, if you're a watchman on the wall and you see terrible things coming and you do not warn anybody, you just like watch it happen. Or even worse, you jump on your horse and take off and don't warn anybody. He said, when those people die, I'll require their blood at your hand. All right? And then he turns spiritually. And he says, Ezekiel, you're my watchman. And he says, when I, when I tell you my truth, when I, when I warn the wicked, and when you don't warn them, I'm going to require their blood at your hand. All right, so here in Acts 20, when Paul says, this is the last time I'm ever going to see you, but I've told you everything I need to tell you, I'm innocent of your blood. You see what he's talking about? See, he's, he's saying, he's referring back to Ezekiel, and he's saying, he's saying, I understand I have a responsibility, okay? He's saying, I understand as a Christian, I have seen things, what have we seen as a Christians, as Christians, people that believe the Bible? What have we seen? We've seen that there is judgment coming for sin, right? We've seen that. We've seen that in the Scriptures very clearly all over, okay? 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse, verse uh, uh, 7 and 8 and 9. Uh, let, let, me, let me read 8 and 8 through 10. In verse 8, it says, In flaming fire, uh, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus says this, um, beginning in verse um, 43, I believe it is. Yeah. And if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm, he's talking about the, a parasite, does not ever die. Why? Because the victim is never consumed and the fire is never quenched for everyone will be salted by fire. So, so the Bible is super clear about this reality of coming judgment. And, and in that passage, you know, Jesus, he actually doesn't want you to chop off your hand and gouge out your eye. What he's saying is hell is so bad it would be better for you to do that than to go there 
He's saying it's a place of torment, it's a place of torture, it's a place of the wrath of God. It's, it's basically a place where, where people who have said, God, I don't want you. God, I, I'm not interested in your son, I'm not interested in you. I don't want you, I don't want your glory, I, I don't honor you, you're not my king, get out of my life. People who have said that, God says, okay, okay, that, okay. You will go to a place where I am not, and hell is the place where God is not. And we know that. And so because we know that, we should, if you go back to this illustration of a watchman, we, we sound the alarm, right? We sound the alarm. Now, what does that look like? Well, man, that's why I love Acts 20 is because Paul gives us a bunch of kind of, kind of instruction about how, how he knows he's innocent of the blood of these people, okay? So in verse 21, um, we go back here, he's talking to him. He says in verse 21, he said, I testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that, those are good clues, aren't they? So what does it mean to be innocent uh, of someone's, someone's damnation, their hell? Well, it means that I clearly told them or you clearly told them about repentance toward God and faith in Jesus, right? Two big things there. What, what, you know why those are big things? Because Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so we need to tell people about repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is I'm turning away from sin. Like, like I'm turning away from unbelief. Repentance is I've been living this way. Man, I'm done with that. I've changed my mind. That's literally what it means. I've changed my mind about sin and about self and about God, and I'm turning from that. And then faith, he says, he says, I clearly told you about repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus is trusting him, knowing that he is completely trustworthy, that we can believe that he is everything the Bible says he is and that he will do everything the Bible says he will do. Faith is believing, trusting that Jesus is life, that he's the best thing. And so Paul says, man, I'm innocent of your blood because I've told you about repentance toward God and faith in Jesus. Look at verse 24. We'll just kind of pick our way through here. Verse 24, he says, I don't account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. And then he ta- tells us what that ministry is. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See what he says? He said, I finished that with you guys. I told you, I testified to the gospel. Gospel means good news, to the good news of the grace of God. What is grace? Grace is that God gives you stuff for free, okay? That's what grace is. And Paul says, I told you about the good news of the grace of God, that God is willing, he's willing today to dump his riches into your life. He's willing today to give you free of charge forgiveness, to give you the righteousness of his son, to give you his Holy Spirit. He does that by grace. Paul says, I told you that. I taught you that. Keep going. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, even now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul says, I proclaim to you the kingdom. What does that mean? It means he told them about the king, right? about Jesus and what it means. In the kingdom of God in the Bible is, what does it mean for God, for Jesus to be king over your life? What's that look like for him to be your master? What's that look like for him to be your king, for him to be your boss? And then look at verse 27. This is my favorite one. It kind of sums it all up. Verse 27, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That word counsel may confuse you a little bit. If it does, another good word for it would be plan, 
okay? He's saying, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole plan of God. In other words, Paul says, man, I, I, I told you God's plan. I told you how God created the world and, and how, how sin and unbelief in, in Genesis 3, how that broke our world and how it plunged all of us into sin. And, and, and I told you how, how God sent a flood back in, in, in the book of Genesis to wipe out all of mankind except Noah because of the sins of the earth. And then I told you how God appeared to a guy named Abraham, and, and he promised him, Abraham, through your family, there's going to come one who's going to save the world. And, and, and he, he told him how, how through Abraham, Abraham had a son Isaac, and Isaac had, had, had a son Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and that's the, those 12 became a nation called Israel. And, and God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land and gave them the law and the commandments in the Old Testament. And from Israel came kings, but they were never the king of kings. And from Israel came priests, but they were never the ultimate high priest. And from Israel came prophets, but they were never the ultimate prophet because through Israel would come one, the Messiah, Jesus, who would be God's own son, who would be born as a man and who would live the perfect life and who would die a death on the cross and who would be raised from the dead and who would offer salvation to all who would come to him. Paul says, I told you that. I taught you that. I taught you the whole counsel of God and therefore I am innocent of your blood. Is that making sense? You see, but the, the other side of that is Paul is saying, he's implying if he had held back, if he had lived there in Ephesus with these people and he had, he had held back the truth, if he'd not talked to them about repentance and about faith and about God's plan, he would be guilty, right? He'd be guilty. So the question for us is, who are we responsible for? If you're a Christian here today, if you've got the Holy Spirit, then who, who are you responsible for? It can't be nobody, right? Can, can, it can't be no, not, not according to what we just read. You know, God tells Ezekiel, man, I've made you a watchman over Israel, and I'm going to hold you accountable. Paul, he's living his Christian life. He's not even from Ephesus. He just lived there for three years. And when he leaves, he's able to say, look, I just want you to know I'm innocent of the blood of all because I fulfilled my responsibility. And so now, now we have to ask, well, who am I responsible for? Wouldn't it be great if somebody gave us a piece of paper with 100 blanks on it? Somebody did. It's in your bulletin. Who are you responsible for? Well, start writing them down. Who's in your life right now? That's not to say who will be in your life. I did this about 10 years ago, actually. Daniel actually still has his. Um, we did it as a staff about 10 years ago. And Daniel, Daniel was looking at his the other day. He's like, look at this, Pastor. And, and it was cool to see people that had come to Christ, right? And then people that had kind of disappeared out of his life. And then... New people. Like, I, I was filling mine out this week, and one, one of the things I noticed is the first 25 or so, they weren't in my life 10 years ago. But they are now. And I'm responsible. Those, those are the folks. There's 7.5 billion people on the planet. I'm not responsible for all 7.5 billion of them. Like, there's 3.1 billion unreached. Isn't that something? Unreached means they have no access to the gospel. You know why we drive so hard 
at Lincoln Avenue for missions. You know why we give away 400000 or so dollars a year to other places? It's because there's 3.1 billion people on the planet who have nobody to tell them about Jesus. That should shake us up a little bit. I did the math on that because my mom and dad sent me to school and because I have a calculator on my phone. That's the real reason. But if I were to share a three-minute gospel testimony, one after the other, it would take me 1,966 years to share a three-minute testimony with 3.1 billion people. That's a lot of people. And I'm glad that we're not responsible for all of those. I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that. But I, I know this. Asher Dirks is on this list. Haven's on this list. My mother-in-law's on this list. My sister-in-law's on this list. My brothers are on this list. My nephews are on this list. My neighbors across the street and on the sides are on this list. And I know that I have a responsibility. Who else? Well, Think of it this way. So who's in your life and how deeply are they in your life? Okay, so we're, we're working out who am I responsible for. So who's in my life? How deeply are they in my life? Now, Paul, Paul says in Acts 20, you'll notice the passage we just read, he was there for three years in Ephesus. And so when he unpacks his responsibility, what does he say? He said, man, I fulfilled my responsibility. I taught you about repentance. I taught you about faith in Christ. I taught you about the whole plan and counsel of God. I taught you about the grace of God and, and salvation. I, I proclaimed to you the kingdom of God. Like he, all those things, right? Did Paul always have that opportunity with people? He didn't. Like sometimes you just have a little glimpse of an opportunity. Let, let, me, let me show you that. So Acts 18, go back a couple, a couple chapters. And in verse 5, I think Paul's in Corinth here. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews. Okay, so he's, he's speaking to these, these Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, listen, your blood be on your own heads. See, Paul was thinking this way all the time. So he shows up in Corinth. He meets a group of Jewish people, Right? He engages them in a conversation. They allow him to go so far, and then they start to oppose him. And it says they even revile. You know what it is to be reviled? Have you ever been reviled before? That's like when someone calls you bad names. That's what it means to revile you. They start to oppose him and revile him. And so he backs off and says, okay. Shakes off his garment and says, your blood's on your own head. You see, that's, he, in Ephesus, he was there for three years. And, and he, he felt he'd fulfilled his responsibility to speak to them of the king. Like, man, if, if, you, if, you, if you go to hell, it's not my fault. These people he just had, had a small opportunity with, and then they shut it down. And he was able to say, okay, if you perish, I'm clean. Your blood's not on my hands. So those who you have a relationship with. Second of all, those to whom God leads you. All right? So, 
So there's, there's some people not on this list that I think you still have a responsibility for, and they are those who God leads you. Let me give you some examples. Jonah didn't know anybody in Nineveh, if you know the story of Jonah, right? He knows nobody in Nineveh, okay? He doesn't even like the people of Nineveh. He doesn't know them, and he doesn't like them. He doesn't like the country. And yet, what does God do? God sends him to Nineveh. Peter didn't know Cornelius. God sent him to Cornelius. Paul, Paul was going to Asia. If you remember in Acts 16, God stops him, turns him around, and says, I want you to go to Macedonia. Right? And so there's times where God will. That ever happen to you? I've told you the story before. There's, there's a mechanic in Bolivar, Missouri, that thinks I'm the strangest guy he's ever met in the world. Because I went in there to get my tire fixed. And I left. And God would not let me go home. Like literally. There was such a heaviness on my heart, I could not go home. I desperately wanted to go home. The last thing I wanted to do was look stupid and walk back in there and re-engage this guy in a conversation. But I did because God would not let me off. There's times where God leads you, and when he does, you're responsible for those people. Now, what does it mean? God says, remember in Ezekiel, I will require their blood at your hand. What does that mean? In other words, if there are people in my life and I have opportunity to share with them, I have gospel conversations, I've got family reunions that I sit across from them, I've got times where we have conversations and for whatever reason, I, what he calls, shrink back. Okay? Look, 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 look. Let's, he, he says this twice. Okay? So chapter 20, verse 20, notice. He says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And then in verse 27, he he says it again. He says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Isn't it interesting that he used that word shrink? Have you ever ever been in a conversation and you knew God wanted you to step through that door? You knew he wanted you to be bold? You knew he wanted you to give your testimony? And instead... It's, it's, it's a real kind of sissy word, isn't it? You shrank. You just kind of slithered away, you know? Got out of there. So if you do that, and if you don't correct it, and if they perish, then the Bible says God will require their blood from your hand. What does that mean? Now here's where I'm going to disappoint you greatly as a pastor. So you, what you ought to do is ask Pastor Daniel and Pastor Andrew and Pastor Gary because they may have the answer. But I do not have the answer of what that means. So, so as I play that on my head where God says, if I, if, I, if I give you an opportunity and you won't take it and they perish, I'm going to require their blood. What, what does that mean? And I, I can't tell you what that means. Like I can't find a clear instruction in the scripture about what that will look like. I, I do know some things, though. So I, I do know that 1 John 1, 9 tells me that if I confess my sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive me. So I, I know that. That's really encouraging to me about this issue. But I also know that in 2 Corinthians, it tells me that there will be a believer's judgment, right? Not, not a judgment that's determining heaven or hell, but a judgment in which God looks at my life and what I did with what he gave me. I know those two are true. And so let, let, me, let, me, let me illustrate how I think of this, okay? When I think of what does that mean, what, is that, what would that look like, what, 
What is God saying there when he says, I'll require their blood at your hand? So let me give you an illustration. Tonight, I'm going to be here at small groups, right? And uh, with the kids. So you all drop off your kids here. And uh, hopefully you come back and get them at 730, you know? (laughs) So let's say you come back and get them. And, you know, Billings and I are always standing at the door. We're checking the kids in and out, right? And so let's say you come in and you're getting your kids. and, And while you're doing that, Man, somebody comes in here and they drives in our parking lot and they hit an electric pole and the pole falls and, and the line falls on some of the cars. <gasps> you know, man, we're up in arms and we get on the phone, call 911, we call electric company, you know, we're, we're all, wow. About that time, families are coming out and uh, we, we greet everybody. Hey, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. We just, we don't say anything about what happened, though. And let's say little, little Junior, you know how they do. He sprints ahead of mom and dad. Now, he shouldn't, but he does. He's the first one to grab a hold of the car handle. Let's say it kills him right there. So here's, here's the thing. I actually don't know what that would mean for me. Like legally, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's manslaughter. I don't know if, I actually don't know. It may not mean anything legally but I know what that means in my heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm taking that feeling and I'm pulling it over here and I'm saying, I don't know what it means when Ezekiel says, I'll require their blood at your hand, but I know what that, I can imagine what that feeling would be like. My friends, why would we shrink away from sharing the good news with anybody? There's a couple reasons I want to give you. Number one, I think we lack compassion. I think we're so busy with our own lives and we're so enjoying our own salvation that I think we, I hate to say this, but I just think we don't care like we ought to care. I saw something this week. I, I've been a pastor here 22 years and I think this is the first time I've ever seen this. I saw somebody weep over the lost people in Woodward. Now, I've seen, I've seen people weep over their own children. I've seen people weep over rebellious sons and rebellious daughters. I've seen people weep over lost parents. I've seen people weep over a lost spouse. I've had husbands in my office who wept over a wife who didn't believe or a husband who didn't believe. I've seen that. But I, what I'm saying is I was talking and praying with, with somebody And I looked over and they just fell apart over the reality that many in our town will die and go to hell. I wish I could tell you that somebody was me. It wasn't. But here's what I'm telling you. I think when we get that, I think we will be bold with the gospel. Paul had that. Did you notice in our passage in verse 31, he says... You yourselves know, there we go. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. In in Romans 9, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. 
Man, that kind of compassion where you're like, my heart breaks for you so badly that if I could, I'd switch places with you. I don't know that that kind of compassion comes from anything but prayer. And I'm, t- I, I'm telling you, I think last week was just a pivotal moment in our church. Like, will we really take prayer seriously? Will we really spend time with God? Because I think that's the only way I know of getting God's heart. I think there's other reasons people don't share. I think sometimes we're afraid of what people will think. It's awkward. The conversations are awkward. Sometimes we don't want to be embarrassed. Sometimes we feel like we don't know what to say. I'll just say this. If it's that one, that one's the easiest one in the world to fix. Man, you get yourself in a discipleship group, and you ask the people in there, hey, help me learn to proclaim the gospel. We can fix that one. The others, I think, I think we've got to pray through. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we need your help with this one, God. We need your help every Sunday, God, but... God, this one especially, Father, we, we need you to impress upon our hearts the responsibility we have to the people in our lives, to the, to the people that live across the street from us and who live to the right and to the left. God, for our own children and our own parents and our own uncles and aunts and cousins. And Father, we, we need you to press upon us, God, our responsibility to, to our friends, to our coworkers, to the people that ride in the truck with us and sit in the cubicle next to us. God, we, we want them to have the best thing ever. God, you, you've given us the best thing ever. God, we want them to have it as well. So God, just give us boldness. Give us this kind of heart. God, we pray that at the end of our journey, God, that we might be able to say, I'm innocent of the blood of them all. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to.